The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. We are on this new series, Identities Revealed, and I'm really, really excited about it. I've been looking forward to it for I don't know how many months now. Sarah and I have been just looking at it, planning, picking out the passages. Um, And I say picking out the passages because we won't be going verse by verse through Mark. There's 16 chapters. Um, I hope that we get there um, at some point as a group that we would just tackle a huge book and um, go verse by verse through it. I'm anticipating doing that um, because I love that. I think that that's the best way to um, look at Scripture together is just going verse by verse through through it um, as it was written and not just kind of picking pick pieces here and there that um, we want to hear. And so uh, we will be doing that, but this series particularly is um, we're looking at 10 different stories in the book of Mark that together, I think, give a good representation of the book of Mark and a theme that's throughout it. Um, and so 10 major stories And um, I think we almost hit every, obviously we don't hit every chapter because there's 16 chapters, Um, but we almost hit all of them. And so, um, but through these 10 stories that we're going to look at, including the one tonight, I think we really look at a huge theme that Mark wants to tell us in his book, um, the story about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so... Um, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to be at. Um, who needs a Bible? I've got a few here. Um, anyone need one? Okay. Um, and anyone that I'm giving, anyone else, you can keep it if you want it. Um, it's our gift to you. But Mark chapter 1. And uh, so the theme throughout Mark that I want us looking at is, well, really the title says a lot to it, Identities. And it's plural, identities, because it's not just Jesus' identity that's being revealed throughout Mark, but it's both his and those who find out his identity. When you find out Christ's identity, how you respond to that says something about your identity as well. If you embrace him as Lord, well then, now you have an identity as servant, right? You embrace his identity, and now it says something about your identity. You have an identity in knowing his identity. And so um, let me give you a few more examples here. These won't all be um, different sermons, but it's just giving you an idea of what it means by identities revealed. His identity has a bearing, or it dictates our identity in him. Um, So him as Lord means that you are a servant. Him being in charge makes you submissive. If you embrace that he's in charge, that he um, decides what's best, well, then that makes you say, okay, you're God, you're Lord. Uh, I will do what you want me to do, not what I want to do. I will believe what you want me to believe, not what I want to believe. Because a lot of us, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we kind of tweaked a little bit of the Bible to make it a little easier on us, right? Um, But we're not going to believe what we want to believe. We're going to believe what he tells us in his word to believe. We are submissive to him who's in charge, right? Um, And so his identity impacts our identity when... His identity is revealed, now our identity in him is revealed. You got um, him being all loving makes you infinitely valued. Because he is so loving, because he is all loving, that makes you, as a recipient of his love, so deeply valued, right? Him is, uh, this is the last one, him being all powerful makes you a victor in him. He conquers death, he conquers everything, and you being in him um, makes you a victor. And so we're going to be looking at how his identity has a bearing on our identities because throughout Mark we see that Jesus is revealed to be a lot of things. 
Messiah, King, Lord, Savior, Son of God, Son of Man, all these different things, and all of them have a bearing on who we are day to day in our lives, how we act, how we live, what we believe, all of these things come from Him. So we're going to jump into it. That's enough of um, that. You understand where we're going here, living out your identity as you grow to understand Christ's identity. And so um, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. Mark chapter 1, um, verse 1 through 11. And so I'm going to read this text and then give you really where I'm wanting to go with it. And then we'll go there. Cool? All right. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. True mountain man here, so... um, Man of the wilderness. It says in verse 7, he proclaimed, The one is one whom is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so that's really where we're stopping. We're looking at that chunk right there um, because I think his identity, as John knows it, says a lot about us and how we should embrace Christ at any like John did, John the Baptist. And so um, where am I going with this? What's my main point? What can I get you to write down or sink into your head and really believe it and just really embrace it to where whenever you walk out here, um, you are just living out um, what I believe Scripture is really saying here, at least one thing that Scripture is saying here. And it's this, that Jesus is so magnificent that everything else in our lives should be secondary. I was kind of wrestling with the wording of that. Um, I, was, I was going to say that Jesus is so big that we are small, that everything that we want, our desires, our passions, our interests, our ambitions are all secondary, smaller than him who is greater, who is God, who is magnificent. I think whenever we embrace, this is really a hard, it's easy to say, um, right? You can just read that off the screen, but I think it's really hard to embrace You might be a Christian here. That doesn't make this easy. If you would affirm that Jesus is magnificent, which I hope you do if you're a Christian, if you would embrace that Jesus is magnificent, then you also have to subscribe to the second second part there. You have to embrace that everything else in your life should be secondary to him. If Jesus really is who Mark says he is, in the first 11 verses here, then you have to, what that means for you is that everything else should be secondary. 
And if it's not, you're not a living a Christian lifestyle. And I think that's really hard. That's, that's a lot of weight. This isn't an easy um, sermon. There's, a, there's some sermons that are like, man, this is super encouraging. This is a really challenging one. Um, but if Christ is as magnificent as Mark says, which he is, then everything in our lives should be secondary to him and how we live and everything that we do. So, who is Jesus, and uh, how magnificent really is he? Well, Mark doesn't really hide it from us. Mark is pretty quick to say he wants to begin at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, and he wants to say right out the gate, who is Jesus? He says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's not hiding, and I think, I think part of this is because he wants us to remember at the very beginning, who is Jesus to where, throughout the rest of the book? Whenever people reject Jesus as Christ, the Son of God, whenever people don't see that Jesus is God himself, whenever people don't see Jesus as this, we're like, what are you doing? Do you not see it? Because it becomes very clear, and you were like, man, these people must have been dumb to not see Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. So I think he throws this in here um, at the very beginning, verse 1, right at the gates, because he wants us to feel emotions when we see people don't see it. That's like um, Sarah and I were, um, this, this past week, we went home uh, to see our families. And whenever we're there, it's like board games galore. Uh, whenever you're just like cooped up in the house, it's the holidays. It's like you pull out the board games and 12 hours straight of board games. Um, and so that's what we did. We played a whole lot of, well, it was kind of Scrabble. It was like Scrabble in a card game form. And um, so I'm not the best at that, okay? I'm, I might be um, a public speaker by profession, um, but whenever it comes to like trying to spell out words, I'm quite deficient at it. I'm not very good. <laughs> and um, so Sarah was sitting next to me, a um, little cheater that she is. She would like keep looking over my shoulder, like, you know, you know, you know how people are like, you know, you're looking. And um, she's like, you could just, you could just, and I'm like, stop, and like hiding my cards from her. She's like, well, I'm just saying, if you, and like, so that's kind of where Mark is with this, okay? He's like, he's like, he wants us to be like, man, do you not, do you not see? And they're like, they're blind to it. They're blind to um, what's right in front of them uh, in their hands. And we're like, are you serious? Do you not see? And she really got, she got pretty passionate about it. She's like, do you, not, I'm just saying it's right there. And, you know, like, I'm like, I'm, I just don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but I'm really bad at Scrabble, by the way. So she kept beating me. Anyway, it needs to be, it's going to be so clear who Jesus is. And there are people still in the book of Mark that is completely blind to it. Mark wants us to know at the very beginning who he is and us not to be confused about it um, or anything. He wants us to know for a fact that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. So what does that mean? What is Christ, Son of God? I think we just say Jesus Christ like it's his last name and we have no idea what Christ means. Um, well, Christ really means that he is the sent Savior. It's kind of um, another word for Messiah, if you've ever heard of that. Um, really what Christ is, indicates or kind of says to us is that he is the one that everyone is hoping for. The one that would come and he would save everybody from oppression. He would um, free people from um, all the pain that is. He would be the one that would come and he would rule over all the nations. He's the one that everyone was promised and they're just waiting for this person to come and set them free, to be their savior, to be their king, to be their ruler, to be the one that everybody needs. And that is what Christ is. And so Mark is saying that is Jesus. That's Jesus. 
And then the Son of God, really, it just communicates to them that he is God, that he is of the essence of God. If you read John chapter 5, chapter 8, um, Jesus claims to be the Son of God, and in doing that, people get really angry because he's claiming divinity. He's claiming to be God himself. And so, um, really, what Mark here is saying is that Jesus Christ is the one that everyone hopes for, everyone longs for, and he is God himself. This is the magnificence of Jesus. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is God. And that's what, that's what Mark is trying to tell us here. That's what he wants us to know. And John knew that. John is who we're going to be really looking at tonight. Um, it says that as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger, i.e. John, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. So Isaiah, he prophesies about this guy named John. He says there's going to be a man who's going to come right before the Messiah, right before the Christ, right before the Son of God comes, and he is going to proclaim the Messiah's coming. And that's, that's, the, that's John's job. That's what he was born for. That's what he was prophesied about. And so Isaiah said that there's going to be a man coming. He's going to be proclaiming this. And then it says that John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John knew the identity of Jesus. John knew what it meant to have a magnificent Savior. John knew Jesus and how great he was. John knew it. And so um, for John, everything became secondary. Jesus became his everything, and everything else became secondary. Everything else became small in comparison. Everything else became insignificant in comparison to Jesus. What did Jesus want is so much more important than what did John want. What Jesus desired to happen was so much more important to John than what John desired to happen and I think that really is a challenge for us today. If you see Jesus to be magnificent, if you claim to see Jesus as magnificent, if you, if you claim to see Jesus as Lord and Savior, then everything else in your life, please hear me, everything else in your life should be secondary to him. I think it's so easy for us to claim that Jesus is great, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is Lord, and we do not live it. We don't live that he is primary and everything else is secondary. We say that Jesus is God, yet he is so far down the totem pole when it comes to how much time you spend doing things in your daily life. To John, and I think this really needs to challenge us, to John, Jesus was God. Jesus was Lord and Savior. Jesus was magnificent. Jesus was amazing. And in doing that, in believing that, everything else was secondary. Everything in his life was secondary. And it's not because John didn't have everything. If you see here, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. So he had a pretty good ministry going here. He was really well known. He was, well, in that day, famous. He was even prophesied about by his people. There was a, literally a prophet, a prophet a, a, hundreds of years ago that talked about John. Everyone looked forward to John coming as the proclaimer of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That was John's role. Okay, so this guy is a big deal, and he had a really popular ministry. 
everyone was coming out, the whole Judean countryside and all the people in Jerusalem, the biggest city in the nation, they were coming out to go see who? Him. So it wasn't that John just didn't have everything, that he didn't have anything, and so Jesus was just kind of his everything because he didn't have anything else in his life. No, he had so much, yet still all of that stuff became secondary because Jesus was God and he lived it. He lived that out to be true. It says here that John wore camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. So really, he was living quite minimally. He was not embracing. Um, he, was, he was just humble in his lifestyle. His appearance, he didn't care about what they thought about what he looked like. He didn't care about his popularity as long as God was popular to people. They saw, he saw... God is magnificent. Jesus is amazing. And so he lived in such a way that everything else was secondary to him. If you keep reading, it says that he proclaimed one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Even in the things he said, he talked about. All he really wanted to proclaim was I am secondary to him. I am less than Jesus. I am less significant than him. Because he knew that if he stole the fame from God, if he stole the fame from Jesus, he wouldn't be living a true Christian lifestyle, embracing, following Jesus. Seeing Jesus as God meant putting even his own reputation, his um, popularity as secondary. Let me, let me read a couple more passages that really say the magnificence of Jesus. Okay, so I really want you to see here in the word of God how amazing Jesus is, okay? We can read in Colossians chapter 1. It says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is Jesus Christ. All things were created for and through him, invisible and visible. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. So that he might have first place in everything. Do we see him as this? And do we live in such a way that that's true? Let me read also in Isaiah chapter 9, if I can turn there. It says, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the governments will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over all of his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness for now and forever. This is Jesus, okay? This is how magnificent Jesus is. If you look at Isaiah chapter 40, this is the last one, 44. It says, this is what the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, says. I am the Lord who made everything. 
who stretches out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth, who destroys the omens of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who confounds the wise and makes their knowledge foolishness. So we read that. Guys, I just want you to get this, okay? I really want you to embrace this because this has been just challenging me every single day this week. It's just been killing me because am I living that that is true, that he is first, that he is priority, that he is so much greater than everything else? Am I embracing how magnificent he is that I would live in such a way that everything else is secondary? What I think about, what, what other people think about me, what I look like to other people, what my reputation is. Do I put all of that as secondary because he is what this book says he is? I don't, I don't think I always do. And I don't want to be content with that. I want to see him as so magnificent, like John says, like Isaiah says, like Paul says in Colossians, Philippians. I want to embrace that he is so great, that he is as great as this book says, that everything else that I would ever care about, that I would ever want, that I would ever desire, would be secondary to him. I think that's what John did. His own reputation, he said, yeah, he is so much more powerful than I am. You guys are coming out to me, and let me just tell you that I am really, um, I'm the side act. I'm really nothing compared to him. John didn't want his reputation to grow. He wanted God's reputation to grow. He didn't care about his appearance. He was willing to throw on anything, a leather belt and, a, and some ratty old garment. He didn't care about his appearance because he cared about what God looked like to other people. Can we say the same thing about us? That's what, this, is, this is a hard text. Is everything in your life secondary to God if you claim that he is your God? Do you live it? Is everything else secondary? Is he God in your eyes? All those things that I read, this is why Paul says in Philippians that everything is a loss in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And it's Philippians 3. Everything is a loss. Everything is insignificant in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything else. We can say that, but do we live it? We can say everything else is nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but it's been three months since I've done anything when it comes to reading or praying. But he is my Lord and Savior, and everything else is secondary. It's just whenever it comes to my time commitments... Video games kind of get the best of me. Does our commitment, does our prioritization of Jesus, does it line up to what God calls us to do? I'm going so far off here, but I'm just... Does our prioritization of Jesus, do, does our placement of him on the totem pole of what we care about line up with what God calls us to do? And I'll just tell you right now, this is deep in my heart, I believe it to be true, the common commitment to Jesus Christ today and what you see in everyday Christianity does not and I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll even say it again. The common commitment, the average commitment to, in today's society, in today's Christian world, the average commitment to Christ does not line up to what is expected of us in Scripture. It doesn't line up, and that should terrify us if we are lining up with that average. 
The average commitment does not line up with what the Bible calls. The Bible calls us to be like Paul whenever he gets thrown into prison and he's content with it because he has Jesus right there next to him. He doesn't care that he's in prison. He's perfectly fine with rotting away in prison because he's got Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. If he dies, he's going with him. If he's still alive, man, he's going to keep preaching Christ. You can't lose. He doesn't care about getting out there and jumping back into making tents or doing whatever. I mean, he just cares about being with Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. That is his greatest priority. That is his greatest concern. Is that ours? This kind of believing how great Jesus is is why John the Baptist, the guy that we're reading about right now, later in the book gets beheaded because he's so committed. Are we putting Jesus so high up in the totem pole that we would be able to embrace that? That's why Peter was willing to get crucified upside down because Jesus was up here and everything else, including his own comfort and his physical well-being, was so far down here compared to seeing the magnificence of Jesus. We claim that he's magnificent. We claim that he is God. But join me in just checking your heart. Is it true what you're saying? Is it true what you're speaking out? Jesus is my Lord. And I'm not saying it to make anyone feel horrible. I'm saying it because I care about you. And the last thing I want for anybody in this room is to lie to themselves, thinking for their entire life that they're embracing what God has called them to do, and that is live this Christian lifestyle that really isn't Christian at all. It's because I love you that I want to challenge you and think about are we living up to par with how John is living the commitment he has, the way he embraces the divinity of Jesus Christ, the magnificence, the priority of Jesus Christ. Are we embracing it the way Paul did, Peter did, John did? Or has this new norm, just average Christianity, become a hobby and we get sucked into it And it's just kind of something we do here and there. But it's a pitiful excuse of commitment. Is that something we're sucked into? Is that something the world is sucked into? I think it is something the world is sucked into. And I pray it's not something that we are sucked into. I have no idea where I'm on my notes. I'm going to finish reading here. It says in the last few verses, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descended on him like a dove. This is an amazing sight. Can you just imagine this? Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water and the heavens split open. This, this, well, it's the Spirit. comes down on him like a dove, so I don't even know what that looks like. But it comes down on him. And then a voice from heaven, for all these people to hear, says, You are my beloved son. With you I am well placed. So God, no one can deny this happening. People can get angry at Jesus saying, I am the son of God. But whenever like the heavens split open and God himself, God the Father would say, You are my son. I am saying that publicly for all people to to hear. I'm endorsing him as my son. No one can deny it. No one can argue against it. And then the story goes on, and we have no idea what anybody in the crowd did in response. So they were just told about Jesus' identity as God's son, the son of God. 
They just heard that from God the Father speaking down from heaven. And so what did they do in response? Did they just commit their entire lives to him? Did their lives completely change and now they lived for him every single waking second? I have no idea. Kind of a cliffhanger. So I guess the question is too, what's our response? Because the word of God tells us that he is the son of God, that he is God himself, that he is magnificent. The word of God says it just like they heard it from God, from heaven, we hear it. And now what is our response? Sarah and I were driving uh, to Kansas City last week and we were kind of playing well, it wasn't a game, but I mean, the what if game. And how this game kind of went, what we were talking about was what if, and we kind of just, we're just kind of daydreaming with each other. What is the craziest thing that could happen? Like the thing that you would want most, like my greatest ambition, like where do I want my career to go in 50 years? Where do I want to be in my career? Or where does, whatever, I mean, what is my greatest desire to see happen in my life? Like, what do I want most out of my life whenever I'm about to die that I can look back and just see, like, just kind of picture that in your mind. Like, what do you see yourself doing? What do you see just being, like, such a huge victory in your life that you just want so bad to happen? Do you want to be, like, the greatest, I don't know, fill in the blank. So Sarah and I were just kind of going about this, like, talking about it, you know, just daydreaming together. Man, like, I want to, I want to do this. Man, I want to be that person. Like, I want to be this, you know, and we're, and we're just kind of daydreaming each other, day, daydreaming with each other. And then we threw, well, what if God says no? What if God calls me to drop that dream? Do I drop it? What if God says, that's not what I want for you? Do you accept that? Like, these are your greatest desires. These are my greatest passions. You know, like, so I, I love being a pastor. I love preaching. I really love just talking to people about my heart, about God. But Sarah and I were just talking like, what if God called me out of the pastorate? What if God called me, you're not going to be a pastor anymore? Oh, that would just wrench my heart. But I love him so much more than I love my occupation. So it would be so hard. I'm not just saying it's an easy decision. Sarah, she has been going four years now in an accounting degree, and it's an extremely hard degree. And she just signed up today for CPA exams. And so these things are a lot of money, trust me. Uh, and they are very difficult. And so she just kind of said to herself, she's like, well, what if God, after I take all these exams and I go and get my degree and God says, no, actually, I don't want you in that field. What if? Would you embrace what God says instead of what you want? Or it would be so much easier or what just seems like your life is going, but God says, no, take a hard right, would you? Is God God? Do you embrace it? Do you live that way? Or is your desires, your passions, your interests, God? The what if game. It's not very fun. <laughs> but I think it really checks us. It checks us in how much we really embrace Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Let me, read, uh, let me read one more passage. Okay, there it is. I was looking for it. Um, it says here, 
This is in Revelation. This is about Jesus. John sees a vision, and it says, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse, its rider called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame. Try to picture this, okay? As I'm describing it, try to put it together in your mind. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head, and he had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on their white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth, and that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of King, Lord of Lords. If that's not intimidating, I don't know what is. Because embrace it, just think about it, that that is true, that is real, that's going to happen. That is Jesus Christ. Is really a video game or a person of interest? Are, are, are any, is anything else that you could ever think of worth more time, worth more energy, worth more passion that you're going to invest in? Is it greater than that, than what you read in Colossians 1 or Isaiah 40 about Jesus, the Son of God, the great King, the Prince of Peace, the ruler, the Savior of the humanity, and we invest more time in our regular hobbies? Identity is revealed. We just write here that Jesus' identity is revealed to us as God himself. Amazing. Glorious. And now it's really something that we would define our identities as, what do we do in response to that? Do we embrace him as that God, as that Lord and Savior? Do we live in such a way that he is? That's the question tonight. I pray that we would embrace the identity of a true Christian that requires devotion and absolute worship, priority of prioritization of Jesus over everything else, submission and sacrifice of anything else that you ever care about, and you're willing to put it on the line because you care more about him. That's the true identity of a Christian as a Christ follower. I pray that's you. I pray that's you. I pray that you would say yes to that because he is so much greater, so much more beautiful, so much more worth it, so much more valuable than anything else you could ever say. I promise. So I pray, I pray that you would embrace him as Lord and Savior and then embrace your identity as one who would put him over everything else. I pray that it's you. Man, I do. We're going to go into a time of prayer, um, response time, and worship. And so uh, you guys can stand up and spread out. <clears throat> these songs, I want you to focus on if you're not already just praying or whatever. Um, these songs are specifically focused in on just singing out that he is greater than anything else. That he is Lord and there's nothing else more important. 
That's what these songs are really focusing on. If you would just look at the lyrics, if you would just sing them and just cry them out from your heart, what these lyrics are saying, it's saying that God, I put you first and everything else second. The second song that we're going to be singing, um, I wrote down a couple of the lyrics. It says, take me now, show me how I need to live, not for me, but for you and your glory. I pray that you would sing that from the depths of your heart. Teach me how to live for you, not for me. For you and your glory. Don't just skim over the lyrics there uh, in that song because that is so true. I pray that that is your heart's cry. It also says, Lord, be pleased with the worship that I bring you. This is our time to go and worship him. Absolute devotion and surrender to him. And I think our worship that is pleasing to him is whenever it's genuine and really saying, I'm giving everything to you. You are so much greater. And I lift my hands to you and no one else, nothing else. You are my God, nothing else is. I think that's the only kind of worship that God would be pleased with. I don't think he's pleased whenever we lift up our hands and say, you're amazing God, but our lives don't show it. Your life is worship to him. And so as we sing together, we can start the music. I pray that you would really wrestle with this, think about this, and see how does your life line up? How does your identity line up with embracing his identity as Lord and Savior, God over everything? We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.